them up, you know. Um, we may have to do more of that. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like that was mostly why we came. Um, pretty good on nerves, though. What's that? Pretty good on nerves, That's right. That's right. I, I think so. I think it was just the warm-up. I think it was course number one. <clears throat> um, most of you guys know that last week we took up a special offering for the worship team. Um, here's the deal. Most of you guys were gone visiting family and whatnot and uh, we had even though we had a really tiny assembly of people here last week we had a really good offering and I want to take up that offering again so if we got some ushers or just some people who can quickly ush I need some ushers quickly because here's what I want to do I feel like there's a lot of people who were gone last week who wanted to bless the worship team and so I just want to pass the hats on that again is that all right so if you if you intended on giving in and sowing to the worship here at the vineyard, so that we could just bless those guys and signal to them that we really love and care for them, then um, why don't we just pass the hats one more time around, because I just feel like that's super important. While the ushers are ushing, um, <clears throat> we have a guest, a brand new guest. Kelly, why don't you stand up, show everybody Baby Lyric. Oh. Yeah, that's so good. Lyric, we just, we already like you and we're glad you're a part of our house. I like, I like that the flower is actually bigger than her head. It looks great. It looks absolutely great. I tell you what, if you want to, um, why don't you go ahead and open up your Bibles, and I hope you brought one. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about the good life again today. But we're going to be looking in a slightly different section of the scripture. So why don't you turn to John chapter 10. Okay, we're going to hang out in John. We're going to get the John view of the good life, if that's all right. <clears throat> yeah. I just feel like singing. They just warmed me up. That's all they did. They just warmed me up. Yeah, we'll start in John chapter 10, and um, we're going to start in verse 10. It's the verse we've been starting with every single week in this series, and this is what Jesus said. He spells everything out for us super clear. He says, the thief comes only to kill, to st- I always want to start with kill, to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's a good word. And here's what's great, or at least what we're going to start with anyway, is that in this one scripture, Jesus synthesizes and he concentrates the view of the good life in the kingdom. And he does so by starting, uh, by starting and when he, when he starts, when he starts with, this, with this little phrase, this thief, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy, and that I may have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What he's doing is he's distilling for us who the players in the good life are. And when it comes to the good life, here's what you need to know. There are only four players in the good life. There's the thief, that's the devil, there's the shepherd, you can read the rest of it and we will in John chapter 10, there's the shepherd, that's Jesus, and then there's you and me, okay? Those are, those are the players in the good life. And the other thing you need to realize is this, is that this morning you're either being stolen from or you're being given to. You're either being stolen from or you're being given to. You're either being led on a path toward death or you're being led down a path toward life. And you're either being destroyed right now, or you are in the process of being redeemed and reformed and restored. I can't read it any other way. 
Maybe you can. You are either, you are either right now this morning in the purple chair, you're either being stolen from or you're being given to. The other thing I want to tell you is this, that there's not a static position anywhere. There's not a sideline anywhere. You're either hearing and following the good shepherd and experiencing the abundant life or you're not. Period. Some of you might be thinking, well, Adam, you're just preaching some, some pie-in-the-sky gospel. You're, ju- you're just saying that, you know, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Come to Jesus and everything gets better. Come to Jesus and you'll live the overflowing, abundant, perfect life where everyone's happy all the time and nothing ever goes wrong and everything's great, right? I'm actually not preaching that gospel. What I am telling you is this, that sometimes when you live the good life, sometimes the good life, sometimes the good kind of life leads you to the cross, I swear it took the Lord. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Put up this passage in Scripture from Hebrews, if you would, Raymond. See, see, Jesus lived the good kind of life, and it took him to the cross. But I want you all to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Um, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. I want to tell you this, that you, when, you, when you enter into the good kind of life, sometimes it takes you to the cross, but even when it takes you to the cross, you can experience joy. I, I can't read this any other way. Look at that. Who for the, if, you've got your, if you've got your pen out this morning, you need to write the scripture down, and then you need to go for to it this afternoon, you need to highlight it who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You want to know how Jesus endured the cross? He endured it by feasting on joy. And that's the good life. The good life, the good news about the good life is this, that no matter what your life circumstance is, you can experience the goodness of the kingdom in any life circumstance. See, Jesus was able to feast on joy in the midst of the most extreme circumstances anybody has ever known. You know, some of you guys here this morning, are, you're going through circumstances that are less than pleasant. You're, you're having, uh, you know, you're having job issues, you're having family issues, you're having, oh, you're just having issues. And, and the good news is that regardless of issues, even regardless of the variety of issues, you can still experience the goodness of the kingdom of God in that moment. You can even experience joy. For the joy set before him. I mean, that's bizarre. Weight of the world, weight of the, uh, the sin weight of the world rested upon Jesus while he was on the cross. And he was, able to, he was able to encounter a joy realm even in those days. Before we get into our scripture in John chapter 10, I want to talk a little bit about Incarnation. I'm not going to lie, I've got a shotgun message and I have, no, I have absolutely no idea how it's going to come together this morning. I felt like the Lord wanted to say like three things and we'll just see. Yeah, um, as we move into like Christmas time, one of, the, one, of the key, one of the key components or one of the key, one of the key messages of the Christmas message is, that, is that, that Jesus became incarnate, which just means he became in the flesh. God God took on flesh and he, and he came down and he became close. 
And um, one of the things I feel like the Lord is, is saying to us right now is, as a church is that he would like us to be a people who incarnate something from the unseen realm and bring it into the earth. Okay? And I feel like the Lord, I feel like the Lord is saying to this, to this church, to the vineyard here, that he, he would like us to be people who put flesh on God kinds of things. If you can hear that. I feel like the Lord is wanting us to be the sort of people who put flesh on God kinds of activity. And so I, I, this is, I'm just feeling like that uh, this is a season of incarnation and that this is a season when, when, uh, when heaven came down and moved in next door. And uh, I read the rest of the book, and from what I can understand, he never moved out. And uh, from what I can understand, he moved inside. Dr. Ray was praying that. He moved inside, and, and so he now he's taken up residence in us. And so it's, it's, it's laid upon us right now, even in this Christmas season, to be the kind of people who, who put flesh on God kinds of things and bring it out of heaven and into the earth. And it's one of the reasons why, if you've been reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which has, been our, which has been our study materials, if you could put it that way. If you've been reading that lately, you guys remember what Jesus uh, uh, said when he was teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, right? He said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And so one of the things that the Lord wants to do and when it comes to giving, living the good life is he wants, to, he wants us to partner with him in bringing heaven down to earth. And so he teaches his disciples how to pray, and he says, guys, when you pray, pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And, and here's what I want to point out when it comes to uh, this scripture in Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he's giving them a kingdom perspective, he's not teaching them that they should pray. The beginning of this section starts out like this, when you pray. See, the, the, the assumption is that when you live the good kind of life, when you're, when you're giving yourself to the kingdom heart and to a kingdom lifestyle, the assumption is you're already a praying kind of person. He's not saying, hey guys, you should be praying. He's saying you should be praying in this way. And so he begins to outline the kind of prayer, the kind of prayer that lets someone live the good kind of life. It's not my intention to talk about prayer this morning, but I do want to use it to highlight a couple of things. How many of you all, how many of you have ex- ever experienced this Maybe yourself or maybe you know someone. Certainly you know someone. How many, how many of you have ever met someone who was a person of prayer but yet did not live the good kind of life? How many of you, how many of you have ever met someone who, who perpetually lived in increasing amounts of prayer but perpetually lived in decreasing amounts of joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, and the rest of the fruits of the Spirit? How many of you have ever met people who, who gave themselves to prayer and to more prayer and to more prayer and actually ended up becoming rigid and religious, unhappy people? I, can I tell you something? It was me. I've done it. Why? Because here's the deal. Being a prayer person alone doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to enter into the good kind of life. Can I tell you what will distinguish you, uh, what will distinguish the regular life from the good kind of life when it comes to prayer? This is the one thing that will distinguish living a regular, rigid, religious, intensely unhappy life and the, and the kingdom life when it comes to prayer. The key is this, becoming, becoming the kind of person whose heart it is to see heaven come down. See, what it means is this. When Jesus is pointing this out, what he's saying is this. He's saying, guys, I want you to pray into my agenda. When we begin to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At that point, we begin to let go of our agenda in prayer. We begin to take on whose agenda? God's alone. 
That's the only agenda that matters. Here's the deal. I just want to tell you guys something. It's not my intention to become a pastor or a preacher or even a disciple who, who, who gives themselves to more prayer. I'm not interested in giving myself to any more prayer. I'm interested only in giving myself to more answered prayer. And the way that you give yourself to, one of the key ways that you give yourself to more answered prayer is to lay down your own agenda and to begin to pick up his agenda and begin to cry out and, and, until it's a heart reality at the center of who you are. Father, what I want in this world is for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And at that point, my heart begins to change. Can you hear this? Your heart begins to change and you become the kind of person who isn't always looking inward at my own selfish desires and we begin to look outward at what heaven might want to do and, to, and on whom heaven might want to jump, if you can hear it that way. I want to tell you, one of the reasons that people get so frustrated in prayer is because they've only picked up their own burden in prayer. Picking up your own burden in prayer is the number one way to end up burnout, rigid, religious, frustrated, mad at God. Bottom line. Here's the deal. Sometimes God will answer the prayer that's of your own agenda. You know why? Because he's just good. He's just really good and he really likes you and he really likes, he really likes the people that you're praying about. But here's what I want to tell you. This is, I've used prayer as sort of this backdrop a little bit this morning. And I hope it's become abundantly clear over the last few weeks. That living the good kind of life, it isn't about religious duties that we stack up. It's about having a new heart. The good kind of life comes from a good heart. Everything comes from the heart. Every single thing comes from the heart. When we begin to pray, Father, your will on earth as it is in heaven, at that point we begin to resonate. And what we're really saying is, God, I, I, just, I desire that your kingdom reign and your kingdom rule show up here. That's all I want. Here's the other thing I want to say about that. That it's, that it's also not enough just to be the kind of person who prays from heaven's agenda and heaven's perspective, your will on earth as it is in heaven. It's not enough just to have heaven's agenda. We have to be willing to be the person who's heaven's solution. Okay? One of the things I've seen about the life of Jesus, and I've even noticed, I told you this, guys, this is going to be a shotgun message, all right? One of the things I realized about prayer is this, that when we, when we tune our hearts to heaven's agenda, when we begin to literally vibrate like the string on a guitar, with heaven's agenda, when we begin to, on the inside, resonate with on earth as it is in heaven, that's the first step. But if we're, if, if, we're, if we're stuck in a reality that says the solution to God's agenda is going to be uh, God doing something in someone else, then we've missed the point. And, and Jesus is, here's this, the remarkable thing about Jesus' life is that he's teaching his disciples how to pray in this way. He was, he was the person who prayed this way more than anyone who's ever lived, and he was always available to his, father's, to his Father's will to be the solution for the moment. You want to break out of frustration? Get heaven's agenda and begin to turn your heart to the Lord. And this is where it gets risky. You turn the heart to the Lord and you begin to say, Father, I want to be your solution for the agenda. I'm willing to be the solution.
And so what I'm saying is this, church, the Lord is calling us to new seasons of risk. Because when we begin to take up his agenda in prayer, when we begin to take up, when we begin to take up his heart in prayer, when our heart begins to resonate with the kingdom heart, and when we begin to make ourselves available to be the solution and not someone else, what we're really talking about is we're talking about expanding realms of risk. And so if you hate risk, you're going to hate this next season. And here's the other thing. If you're unwilling to risk, you'll be the same five years from now. You'll be in the same dead-end job five years from now. If you're unwilling to risk, you'll be in the same place. You'll be in the same dead-end relationship. So the good, the good life flows from the good heart. A willingness to, to resonate with heaven and then also a willingness to be the solution. See, here's the deal. You and I are currently, we're living the life that our heart has given us over the last X amount of years. See, where you're at today, you're, you're, today is the result of all the yesterdays. If you, can, if you know what I'm saying. The place that your heart has been has given you today. See, here's the deal. You'll, you'll, you'll never, you'll, you will hardly ever choose something that, that offends and conflicts your own heart. You will one or two times, but one or two times don't create the habits and the pathways that lead to life. You know what I'm saying? You'll do it one or two times. So the, 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 the life that you're living now, the places that it's good, and the places that it sucks is a result of the heart condition of your life for the past however long you've been alive. Because, because your, your mind and your body will always, always, always live out of your heart. I always tell people to live out of the heart. The truth of the matter is, everyone in the room is living out of their heart right now. Some of us are just more bound up in fear than others. Some of us, some of us are more avert, averse to taking risks than others. So this is a new season of risk. And so the Lord is saying, I want, I want you guys to take new steps in risk because the good life is out there in risk. It's out there, when, it's out there in acquiring a kingdom heart and the willingness to be the solution. I was reading something a couple weeks ago that has been blowing me away. See, Jesus embodied the good life because he lived from a good heart. Um, there's some strange scriptures in John chapter 4 that really speak to this. In John chapter 4, this is where Jesus, um, this is where Jesus is with the woman at the well, and <clears throat> he's with the woman at the well, and he's there alone, and he's there alone because he sent his disciples off to this little Samaritan town to get some food, and so they come back, and, and they, they, they end up becoming very surprised, and they're surprised by about three things. They're, they're surprised, number one, because Jesus is talking to a woman, and men just didn't talk to, they didn't talk to women alone for darn sure. It, just, it was social taboo. You just didn't do it. They were also very surprised because he was talking to a, a Samaritan non-Jewish woman. And that was like double no-no. It was like, are you kidding me? You're talking to like the half-breed woman. I mean, that was, that was the mindset of the day. Okay? So Jesus is just annihilating all social norms. And the third thing they're surprised about is, they're surprised by what Jesus said. They're surprised. He says, I have food that you, don't guys, that you guys don't have any idea about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food 
And then Jesus says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay? Now here's the thing. Jesus is, is, they're surprised by three things. He's talking to a woman, he's talking to a Samaritan, and he's not hungry. And he says, he says to the guys, you guys don't know about all the food I've got. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. And so what's the, what's the point? The point is this, that, that when our hearts begin to, in, not, not in a fake way, but in a real way, when reality sets in, when my heart begins to beat with the heartbeat of heaven, when I start to catch the rhythm of heaven, it becomes food and nourishment for my physical body. If you can hear that. See, Jesus lives the good life because he's living from the good heart. And what is Jesus' heart? His heart is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He gained physical strength from cooperating with his father and he was renewed and he was replenished by living under his father's will. I'm going somewhere, so hang with me, okay? Jesus was renewed and he was replenished by living under his Father's will. See, the, the, the currents of culture, they flow in a certain direction. And the direction that they flow in is almost always the exact opposite of the streams of the kingdom. And so the, the currents of culture, they tell us what the good life is and they define it and, and we've been talking about how for the most part the currents of culture ha- have defined the good life by living a life of acquisition how can I get stuff and then after I get stuff how can I get more stuff and then after I've gotten the more stuff how can I like fill my closets up and then after I fill my closets up then I'll build another closet so I can fill it up and so see here's the deal so much of what the culture the currents of culture so much of what the currents of culture have told us about the good life is a lie. See, the good life isn't acquisition. The good life, the real good life is for my heart to be in union with my Father's heart and for, for me to be in union to the point that I begin to get strength from merely doing my Father's will. Here's the other thing that the currents of culture will tell you. They will tell you not only is the good life a life of acquisition, but they will tell you this. They will tell you that the good life is a life of freedom. Do what you want, when you want, how you want. How many of you guys have ever heard this little saying? You are what you eat. My wife has heard that. You know what? It's actually true. You are what you eat. And um, I'll tell a story on myself. Uh, Most of you guys know I really like Coca-Cola. I have a love affair with Coca-Cola. I am an addict. And for me to break my addiction with Coca-Cola, I would probably need his 12-step program. In fact, I'd probably need to check in somewhere for four or five months. I'd probably need counseling and a 12-step program in isolation for four or five months. I'm being a little silly, but I, I want to I say something. 
here's the deal. You realize this, that if I keep drinking Coke the way I drink Coke right now, I'm on a one-way street to diabetes. You think I'm joking. I'm not, okay? You are what you eat. You, if I keep pounding these Coca-Colas every day the way I'm, gonna, the way I'm pounding them, my metabolism is one day going to catch up with me. I'm going to end up at 40. I'm going to end up with a big, old, a big old apple shape, and the next thing you know, I'm going to be giving myself insulin shots in my stomach. It's true. That's, I, I, here's the worst part. I know all of that, and I still do it. I've been a little bit silly. How many of us, how many of us feast on the will of God? See, you are what you eat. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You are what you eat. When we begin, when we begin to make the will of God, the heart of God, the rule and the reign of the kingdom, our food, our sustenance, and our strength, guess what? You change. And you change from the inside out. You end up, you end up becoming the kind of person that lives the good sort of life. And so gaining the good heart is about gaining the Father's heart. And so I just want to read some scripture. Let's look at John chapter 10. We're finally there. Gaining the good heart means gaining the Father's heart. You can't live the good life until you, until you begin to renew your heart, until your heart begins to beat with the rhythm of heaven. Until that happens, you're going to be a frustrated person who's angry at God. Let's, uh, let's read uh, John chapter 10. First 10 verses. This is, this is John's version of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, condensed into 10 verses. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and, he, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I'm the gate for the sheep. And all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here's the deal. Gaining the good heart is about gaining the Father's heart. Let's look at verse 1. I'll read that again. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way, that guy is a thief and a robber. I want you guys to imagine a sheep, a sheep pen. Uh, I don't even know what a sheep pen looks like, so let's just imagine a rodeo corral, okay? 
Everybody know what a rodeo, like a rodeo corral looks like? You know, the gates. Okay. So Jesus is talking about the rodeo corral. And the, in the rodeo corral that he's talking about, it has, it has one gate. Okay? And so if, if there's a rodeo corral, and, and, and getting inside of the rodeo corral means, means living in provision and safety and security, if that's what it means, and if there's a gate and, there's, and it's open and there's one, why in the world would you climb in some other way? You ever thought about that? Why, why, why would someone climb in another way if there's a gate and it's open? That, this is why. Because that person, that person has an ulterior motive, right? That's why. So to climb into the gate is to, is to exhibit some sort of an ulterior motive. And here's basically what it means. It's, it's to climb into the gate to climb in some other way other than going through the gate is to have an ulterior motive and it's to try to attain the benefits of the sheep pen without what? Without going through the gate. Here's what I want to tell you about that. You can't maneuver into the good life in your own strength. You know, this is just like gospel 101 stuff. You can't maneuver into the good kind of life in your own strength. You can't climb over, you can't exert your energy, you can't jump over the fence and get into the good life in any other way other than going through the gate. And Jesus tells us plainly in verse 7, I'm the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. And so everyone who's going to, everyone who's going to come into contact with the good kind of life, everyone who's going to ha- experience some sort of heart renewal so that my heart begins to, to beat with the, with the rhythm of heaven, everyone who's going to experience that has to go through the gate and everyone has to deal with the man Jesus in order to live the good life. There is no other way. And here's the other thing I want to tell you all. This is, this is the part that people buck against and this is the part that I really wanted to get to this, this morning. Verse 1. So the kingdom of heaven is like a sheep pen and there's a gate and there's only one way through it. You want into the sheep pen, there's only one legitimate way in and that's to deal with the man Jesus. But here's the deal. How many of you realize that Jesus' initial, initial picture of living the good life and living in the kingdom includes a pen? Here's what I want to tell you. The good life of the kingdom has boundaries. And, and culture says this. See, culture hates this. The currents of culture hate this. The currents of culture say, say, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, every day. That's what culture equates the good life. But the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the good news this morning, is this. That the good life in the kingdom of God is a life with boundaries. It's a life of boundaries. And it happens as we encounter Jesus and we pass through his gate. Here's the deal. How many of us, how many of us want to hang on to anger? Anybody in here want to hang on to anger? Anybody, anybody, anybody hoping that they could be more bitter at 40 than they were at 30? <laughs> anybody in here interested in, in becoming a bigger lust ball than you already are? Yeah, when I put it like that, no one, there was, there's no takers, right? But see, here's the deal. Culture, culture has equated the good kind of life with give me what I want, when I want, how I want it, every single day. And it runs the exact opposite 
to the culture of the kingdom. And the culture of the kingdom is, you got to come into the gate. There's only one gate. It's the man Jesus. You have to deal with him. And when you go inside, there is provision, there is safety, there is security, there's a shepherd who knows you. And he, not only that, like verse 7, he knows you by name. He calls, verse 3 rather, he calls the sheep out by name. You're known. You're not just known, but you're known by God. And there's provision for you. There's pasture. And there's a pen. And there's boundaries. And so here's the deal. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 6 and chapter 7. And I've been, to the best of my ability, trying to, trying to let everyone in the church know that the good kind of life comes from honestly, honestly dealing with Jesus and accepting his yoke and, and, just, and just to the best we can, turning our hearts to actually do what he says in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But here's what, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of, even in this church, there are some people who think, ah, I don't want to do any of that because it's just religion and it's just more rules. All you're doing, Adam, is you're taking, you're taking rules and you're adding more rules. You and Jesus, Adam, you're just taking the rules and you're, you're making more rules. You know, before I started looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I was okay because I hadn't killed anyone and I hadn't slept with anyone who wasn't my wife, but I have tons of anger and I have tons of lust and I don't want to deal with that. And all you're doing is adding rules to the rules. And here's what I want to tell you. I'm not. Am not. That's the only explanation I have. Am not. Here's what I want to tell you. Freedom isn't, even though culture tells you this, freedom is not getting what you want, when you want, how you want it. Because here's the deal. Freedom can't be real freedom if it leads to destruction. Holy smokes, it can't be freedom if it leads to destruction. It's not real freedom. Here's what Paul says about freedom. You all know this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where does freedom come from? It comes from being around the Lord. And look at what John tells us. He says, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber. Verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Everyone who comes in through the gate comes into the sheep pen of God. You come into the provision, the protection, and the presence. That's the main thing I want to get to here. You're coming into the, you're coming to the, to the provision, the protection, and the presence of God. When you encounter the presence of God, what you've actually encountered is the good life and the most free life that you can actually live. See, here's the deal. Giving up lust of the heart isn't another rule. It's the good kind of life. I want to get on this just for a second. Giving up lust of the heart isn't another rule, it's the good kind of life. Let me say it this way. There's nothing in the good kind of life that includes maintaining the lust of the heart. Because this is the way it goes. The lust of the heart is here today, and it's here tomorrow, and it's here the third day. About the fourth day, the lust of the heart isn't satisfied with just being the lust of the heart. So it morphs and it becomes fantasy. It, it looks for agreement in the mind. It becomes fantasy. Day five, it's fantasy. Day six, it's fantasy. Day seven, it's fantasy. You know the only thing better than fantasy? A better fantasy. And so we get a more extravagant, a more extreme, and a more accurate fantasy. It's the reason that porn explodes. It's because it's a, it's a more accurate fantasy for what's already in the heart. Okay? And you know the only thing better than a, than a more accurate fantasy? The real thing. And then pretty soon, people are involved in the real thing, and there's no part of the real thing that's a part of the good kind of life. 
There's no part, there's no part of lust in the heart which will lead to adultery. There is no part of lust in the heart that will lead to, to sexual immorality that's a part of the good kind of life. And people sometimes hear that and they go, oh, it's just more rules on top of the rules. Well, let me put it this way. It starts as lust in the heart. It quickly looks for fantasy in the mind. Fantasy becomes bigger fantasy. The bigger fantasy becomes actions lived out. The actions lived out become babies that were unwanted and unplanned. They become sexually transmitted diseases. And you say, well, Adam, I've done some of that and I've never had a baby that I didn't want and I don't have any sexually transmitted diseases. You know the other thing it becomes? It becomes a distorted view of sexuality and you become a broken person who doesn't really even have any idea of what intimacy is and you get married one day and you live 15 years comparing your wife to everyone you slept with in your 20s. And I want to tell you, that scenario is very real. I've had people confess it to me over and over again. It's a real reality and it has nothing to do with the good kind of life. And so Jesus isn't adding rules on top of the rules. He's trying to save you from ending up being 45 years old on your second marriage, living with a girl that your wife doesn't know about, coming home, being sexually frustrated, and wondering why I can't get past comparing my wife to everyone else I've slept with. And there, I want to tell you right now, there is nothing, there is no part of that scenario which is the good kind of life. And so if you're like in your teens, if you're in your 20s, heck, if you're in your 50s and you're thinking that you can get a, a pass on your sexuality, I want to tell you, think again. Think again. It will run you down. And this is not a hellfire and brimstone message. This is your pastor pleading with you because it has nothing to do with the good kind of life. And if you think I'm joking, don't because you don't want to experience it. See, here's the deal. Sexual intimacy, sexual intimacy has one place. Sexual intimacy has one place. Marriage between man and woman. That's it. You know why? Because intimacy, intimacy is based upon shared experience. If you can hear this. Intimacy is based upon shared experience. And when I begin to take something that is fragile and is meant, be to, meant to be shared between one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage, which means forever. When I do that, when I, when I break that, what I end up doing is I dilute. I end up diluting intimacy. I get married one day, and I wonder why my wife and I have no intimacy. It's because I've diluted it. I've spent my whole life diluting it. And I wonder why. Well, marriage is supposed to be great. Why, am I not, why is my marriage not great? It's because you spent your entire life diluting intimacy. See, sexual intimacy is, is built, it, it's built in such a way that it is only, it, it's only, 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 only for marriage. It's the only container that can hold it appropriately. And so, and so to put sexual intimacy in any other container is to actually begin to forge, I mean, I want you to get a picture of this. Putting sexual intimacy into any container other than covenant marriage is to begin to go into the woods Go, not just to the woods, but to go into a jungle. It's to begin to go into a jungle with your machete and to begin forging pathways that God didn't want to clear. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're married or you're 15 years down the road and, and what you've done is you've spent 15 years building pathways of the heart. And it used to be a pathway and now it's a super highway. 
You go, man, it's hard to get out of. Yeah, it's hard to get out of. It's a super highway. It used to be a jungle. You made a path, and then you went back and revised your path, and you made a super highway. And it's like going from Campbellsville. It's like, it's like this. It's like going from Campbellsville to Louisville on I-65, and then you find out one day that the Lord is like, man, my good path isn't I-65. It's another way. And you, go, you look at the way, and you go, it's too hard. I can't do that. God requires too much. No, he doesn't. You just made a super highway. I mean, we've been beating up on lust. It's just that it's an easy target. And it ruins so many people. Here's the good news. Because a lot of us have have experienced building super highways in jungles that Jesus didn't want you to walk in. A lot of us, even in the room, have pulled out machetes and built at least pathways in jungles that Jesus never intended you to go in. The good news is, even if you've built a path or a superhighway in a jungle that the Lord never wanted you to step your foot in, He can heal it. Okay? That's the really good news. But here's the other side of it. If you haven't done that yet, or if you're, if you're beginning to pick up the machete, I want to encourage you as your pastor, if you, if you, if you believe me on anything... Believe me in this. Put the machete down. I'm telling you right now. You can get an addiction for $15 for $15 that'll take you 30 years and 50 grand to get rid of. I'm telling you right now. You, you, can, get, you can get an addiction for $5 and, and, and an internet connection that'll take you years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get rid of. Put the machete down. Wherever you're at, just put it down. verse 3 man it's getting heavy in here don't shout me down because I'm preaching good that's right I hung out with brother Washington this week man bam verse 3 let's look at verse 3 because this is what I really wanted to get to look at verse 1 again It's about entering through the gate into the sheep pen. Everybody see that? All right, now look at verse 3. Because here's here's the Lord's heart. Verse 3. The watchman opens the gate for him. That'd be the shepherd. That'd be Jesus as well. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them where? Out. Out of what? Out of the boundaries. Here's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to get you in his boundaries so that you can meet him, so that you can hear him, so that you can learn his voice, and so that you can learn his heart. Not just so that you can learn his voice and learn his heart, but so that you can respond to his voice because you've gained his heart. That's what the sheep pen does. It's a holding tank so that you can begin to hear and know the Lord it's, it's, a, it's, it's a place, it's an atmosphere, not unlike the home, where you, can, where, you, where you begin to relate to and know God, and you can begin to hear his voice, know his will, know the kind of person he is, become so convinced of his goodness that your heart begins to respond to that goodness, and you begin to take on his good heart. That's what the sheep pen is all about. It's just like my own home. You know, here's the deal, you, and maybe you guys realize this, especially parents, 
the point, the point of parenthood is not that my kids live with me forever. And it's the same thing in the kingdom. The, the, the point is that we have kids. I provide for them an atmosphere of safety and provision, an atmosphere of love. And in that atmosphere, they, 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 they begin to trust me. And as they begin to trust me, they begin to take on my heart. As they begin to take on my heart, hopefully by the time they're 18 and I turn them loose, they're ready. See, my kids are absorbed in the family culture. But at the same time, home was never meant to be a permanent place. And so you enter the, you enter the sheep pen by the gate. You go into his provision, you go into his protection, and you go into his presence. And in his presence, you meet unlimited liberty and it's the unlimited liberty of his presence that leads you out of the sheep pen now, and some of you are pretty smart and you're thinking well Adam are you saying are you saying that, that, that one day we won't pray and we won't fast and we won't be givers and we won't, and we won't be forgivers and, and we won't be uh, we'll, we'll go right back into anger and lust and, and manipulating people with our words and hating our enemies are you saying that, that all that stuff in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is just temporary? We just do it for a little while and get stuff together and then we go back out and do whatever we want? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the sheep pen, Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, being in the Lord's boundaries, living within his boundaries, turning our heart to him in that way is just like home. And hopefully when home is really good, the culture of home becomes so pervasive that it gets on the inside of you for real. And even when you leave, you're at home. See, here's the deal. I don't worry about my son, River, within certain aspects because I've taught him a few things at home. And when he's out and he's away from me, I know he's going to do what he learned at home. Because we've, we've established the culture, we've imparted the culture to him, and now it's on the inside. And here's what I really wanted to get to, and I'll be finished. Verse 3, the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out as all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. See, the boundaries of God are about establishing a place where we can know the voice and the heart of God. And here's what I wanted to get to. We, we, we welcome the boundaries of God. Here's the deal. I welcome the boundaries of God into my life because what God really wants to do is he wants to take us out of his pen and he wants, to us, he wants us to establish the good life and the boundaries everywhere we go. He wants to impart the culture of the, of the kingdom into us and then he wants to release us to be the kind of people who take the, the boundary of heaven, the invisible boundary of heaven with us. Um, I, was, I was reading the other day, there's this really hilarious... Um, but very serious uh, website. It's called Triple X Church, and they're a ministry who help people break out of uh, porn addictions. And I was reading it a couple weeks ago, just preparing for a message. These guys are unbelievable. They, they, it's a couple pastors, and they have this ministry, and they have a ministry, basically, uh, it's aimed at two things. Number one, helping people break free of, of uh, pornography addictions, and then the other thing they do is they have a ministry to, uh, to the adult industry in Las Vegas, Okay. This is, this is how extreme their ministry is. 
they go to the, the big porn conventions in Las Vegas. I mean, there are, there are naked women everywhere at these conventions. There's every kind of awful thing that you could ever imagine there. Not only that, but a couple of these guys have a team and they go in teams and they sometimes go into strip clubs and they, and they, they rescue strippers out of a lifestyle of, of just immorality and self-hate. Now you go, ask yourself the question, how can a guy go into that atmosphere and not be polluted and contaminated and ultimately brought down by it? Because he's got the boundaries in his heart. I'm telling you right now, I'm not going there. But here's the deal. It's actually possible. You know, Jesus could actually go walk right into there and, and it would be fine. See, Jesus has got kids who are doing it right now. So here's the deal. It's about establishing it's about establishing the boundaries of the heart. And the first step in establishing the boundaries of the heart is to realize for real that it's not more rules. It's not God trying to take all the fun out of life. It's actually job, God trying to protect you from a great deal of pain. Amen? Amen. If you're on the ministry team, come on up this morning. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Jesus.